Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. The text we're going to be looking at is actually Genesis 37 all the way through 50, so we're going to bounce in and out of that a little bit this morning, but we want to begin by looking at the, what Adam read to us a few moments ago from Genesis 50, the end of the story. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. Uh, I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church, and we're glad you're with us. In this series called Shadows, we're looking at the connections in the Old Testament that foreshadow Jesus and what he would provide in a more complete way. In week one, we looked at a 90-year-old woman who was, who was challenged by God, and when God challenged her, she laughed at God. And God asked her the question, is anything too wonderful for me? And this would foreshadow a teenage girl, a virgin, who would be told she would be pregnant with the Son of God. And when she was in despair over how this could be, the angel asked her a question, is anything too wonderful for God? And the answer to the question is Jesus. In week two, we looked at a man who wrestled for everything. He fought and he scrapped and he worked every angle he could to get everything he wanted. And it wasn't until he finally lost that wrestling match that he finally realized what he was to have from God. And that foreshadows, the story of Jacob foreshadows a greater Jacob in Jesus who would come and allow himself to be pinned by the world's sin so that he could free all of us to live. And we've been looking at these connections because what we want you to understand is from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God has been telling the story of how one will come to overcome our sin. And every story, as my friend Adam just says very often, every story needs to be seen through the lens of Jesus. Today, I want to look at a third story, probably more commonly known to you all than the other two may have been. And it's the story of a young man named Joseph. And what I want to do today is I want to ask you two questions, and in these questions, discover a challenge not only from Joseph's life, but also a challenge to each one of our lives as we go forward. The two questions are, we'll begin with the first one, is what do Joseph's tears reveal? In week one, we looked at a woman's laughter. Three times, Sarah laughed. Two of them weren't good laughs. The last one was a laughter of joy. Today, we want to look at tears. Joseph will cry three times in this story. And we want to notice what happens, why and when he does. So what had happened at the, where we took up in chapter 50 is Jacob, Joseph's father, has died. And the brothers who had done a great injustice to their brother and threatened his life now realize with dad gone, Joseph's in a position to make us pay. And in the midst of that, we, get, we look at Genesis 50 verse 15. They ask themselves this question. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? What if he gets even? What if I get what I deserve? It's the question of the morning. So I need to tell you Joseph's story. And I have to be honest with you, because it goes from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, I would encourage you, if you're not currently reading anywhere in the scriptures, you don't have a a plan you're going through, to spend some time this week reading those chapters. You'll know the story well. And I would love to preach every every moment of this text going forward. But the Cubs play at seven, and I've got priorities, so I want to be done by at least six. And so because of that, I'm going to let you, I'm going to assume some things and let you process on your own. Now fly back with me all the way to Genesis 37, verse 4. In this, Joseph 
is the son of Jacob. Jacob has four women who produced for him 12 children, 12 boys. And he loved one of his wives, Rachel, more than all the others, if he loved the others at all. And his favorite son was Joseph, the firstborn to Rachel. Rachel had a hard time getting pregnant. And when she had children, Jacob just spoiled, as my grandma would say, she spoiled him rotten. Genesis 37, 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And that's a strong statement. I'm going to make a stronger statement because it's my personal conviction. Theologically, it doesn't change this or that. Jacob was a toxic father. He practiced the favoritism that his father Isaac showed toward Esau. Jacob shared it with one of his sons named Joseph. And Joseph knew, because God had given him these dreams, Joseph knew that he would rule over his brothers. He had a dream that they were all putting together these, uh, you know, the cone-shaped bales of, of uh, hay, and he was putting them together. He had a dream that all the brothers were out in the field putting these together, and all of their hay bales bent over and worshipped his. He had a dream that the constellations of the skies were representative of he, he and his family, and all of the other stars and planets bowed down to him. And it wasn't bad that he knew that God had a big plan for him. What was bad is he told everyone about it. And so here's the way you can interpret this. Either Joseph was incredibly naive, or he was a punk. Or maybe both. And theologically, you can say, well, I don't want to call a, you know, one of the patriarchs of the faith a punk. Well, you've been one, haven't you? If God can work through us, can he work through another punk? If he can work through me, okay, you don't want to answer that about you. If he can work through a punk like me, can he work through anybody? Ah, there's the church, I hear you. (laughs) So you don't have to make these guys superheroes. They're flawed human beings who needed redeemed. And Joseph would go around telling his siblings about these dreams. And I know this will shock all of you, that didn't go over well. They hated him. His dad gave him a coat. Now, if if you follow Broadway, the coat was like a huge bathrobe that was just stripes. Probably not, though. It was probably a purple coat that had colors on the fringes and on the sleeves that designated royalty. His dad had him, gave him a special coat, and he wonders why his brothers or his sons didn't care for one another. Favoritism was a toxic part of this home. And so there's a moment where they were all herdsmen, and the older brothers were all taking the herds to places. They would migrate their flocks wherever there was grass and water. And so they had gone a distance away from home, and Joseph, who, surprise, surprise, wasn't working, was sent by his dad to go find out if the brothers were taking care of business. And when Joseph shows up, the brothers realize nobody will know what's happened, and they do something bad to Joseph. Reminds me, when I was a a kid, I was probably sixth grade now that I think about it, we just moved to the house that I spent the rest of my growing up years in South Bend at. And we had a mower. It wasn't a motor mower. It was that old stupid one that you push really hard and hope it knocked the grass over far enough to look like you cut it. Anybody remember those? You kind of did one of these for half an hour until you passed out. And, And my dad divided our yard to side yard, backyard, front yard. And it was my day to do the front yard. But I wanted to go play baseball in the neighborhood with my friends. And I couldn't go until I'd done my chores. I waited too long. It was time. I was frustrated. It was hot, like the middle of the day. And I'm pushing that thing. And I wasn't really strong enough to be able to make it work the way my dad could or my older brother could. And I was doing this. And the blades weren't sharp. And I hated life. And I looked over on the porch. And my little brother, Eric, was sitting on the porch drinking an iced tea. 
or excuse me, a lemonade. It was a country time lemonade in a can. And I looked over him. He had his feet up on the railing of the porch, sitting in a lawn chair in the shade, drinking a, a lemonade while I was working. And I hated him. And I was pushing this thing, furious by the minute, and he did the dumbest thing a human can do. He yelled over, Mr. Spot, <laughs> if those blades would have been sharp, I would be in prison for manslaughter right now. I looked at him and started toward him, and he realized what a fool he was and ran in his bedroom and locked the door. And he lived. <laughs> Joseph shows up to when his brothers have been working for dad. They don't get a break. Joseph gets a break. He shows up to find out how they're doing. The poison nature of this family is about to strike. They decide they're going to kill Joseph. Now, this isn't figurative. Joking aside, this isn't figurative. They grabbed Joseph and they were going to kill him. And Simeon said, don't kill him. Just throw him down that well. So they throw him down a well to figure out what they're going to do with him. You see, Simeon wants to come back and he wants to get Joseph out and send him home. But, he's, but he knows he's outnumbered. The nine other brothers are furious. And so what they do is when Simeon's gone, these slave traders come by and they just give their brother away for 20 pieces of silver. They took a human who had freedom and they took all of his freedom and they put him into slavery against his will and they sold him away thinking that's the end of it. They took his coat off of him, they dipped it in animal blood and they went back to their father. And if you don't think it's toxic, listen to what they said. Derek Kidner in his commentary on this brings up this most salient point. He says they come back and they don't, they don't show the coat to dad and say, look what they did to our brother. They come back and they say this. Is this your sons? How hard was that family? That they didn't have any compassion for him being blood. They simply said, hey, is this your sons? It looks like maybe it might be your sons. And Jacob is devastated. And he goes into a shell. And I want to pause the story there and jump forward. What happens to Joseph is he is sold into slavery and he serves as a slave for a good portion of his life. And then God begins to work in his circumstances as he promised him. You see, your circumstances may change, but the promises of God never do. And when God told him he would reign, he would reign. And so through a series of events, through sexual integrity, Joseph is spared death. Through business integrity, Joseph is lifted up in the government. And it turns out that Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the entire world at that time. From being sold as a slave to being the prime minister of Egypt, all of this takes place because God told him, I'm going to do something with you and the circumstances won't stop me. And then we jump to our story about what makes Joseph cry. Pharaoh had taken Joseph and given him a ring. He'd give him a ring of power and authority. He'd place the robe on him. He'd put a crown on him. And he, and he gave his daughter to Joseph to marry. Joseph became fully invested as a part of the family of the king. And then our story happens. Joseph had a dream, a vision from God that there'd be seven years of fruitfulness followed by seven years of hardly anything. And so Joseph said to Pharaoh, we need to prepare. During the seven years, we need to take the plenty and store it up so during the seven years of famine, we'll have enough. And this is what God wants us to do. And Pharaoh agreed, and then it happened. In chapter 42, Joseph's family is starving. They have no crops. They have hardly any grass. There's this famine throughout the land, and they're in trouble. And the brothers say, there's, there's grain in Egypt. Let's go to Egypt and see if we can purchase some. And so they go. But Jacob won't send Benjamin. Benjamin is Joseph's blood brother, the, his, his little brother from Rachel. And and Jacob's like, no, no, you're not taking Benjamin. You guys go. Once again, good parenting by him. 
You guys can go die, but you're not taking him. I couldn't stand if I lost him. I've already lost Joseph. So he sends the brothers and they arrive. And when Joseph sees his brothers in chapter 42, verse 24, he cries. His past has come before him. The brothers who treated him like he didn't matter were now in front of him and needed him. And he had the choice right then, strike or bless. And so he begins to be inquisitive with them. He starts asking them questions. And when he asks about their family and they say there's another brother at home and Joseph's not sure if that's true. That could just be a ploy. What did they do to Benjamin? If they did this to me, if dad loved Benjamin, maybe they killed Benjamin too. So he begins to do this thing with them where quite interestingly enough, he takes them and he has them all put in jail. Even though they cry out in their innocence and beg for mercy, he puts them in jail. Sound familiar? It's exactly what they did to him. And he gathers them together and he says, listen, I will, I will do this for you. You go back and you bring back your little brother Benjamin to make sure you're not lying to me. And when you bring him back, I will free your, bro- your brother. Simeon goes in to jail and they send everyone home to get Benjamin. And the, the, the boys arrive home and they say to their dad, listen, there's grain in Egypt and we can have grain to take care of our family, but we have to bring Benjamin back. The prime minister wants to see Benjamin to make sure we're not lying to him. And this is what Jacob says, not a chance. There's no way I'm sending my son there. I've already lost Joseph. I'm not losing him. What kind of father says that to his other sons? Jacob is horrified. He's scared. And so for two years, count them, for two years, Simeon stays in prison while Joseph's brothers are pleading with their father. Finally, when they're out of grain and there's not very much hope, they go to him and they say, Dad, you have to let us do this. I promise you, every one of them, The nine remaining brothers all look at their father and say, you take our children, take our everything we have, take our lives if we don't bring Benjamin back. And and Jacob relents and he finally sends them. And they travel back to Egypt and they have their audience with Joseph. They don't know who he is. And in chapter 43, verse 30, Joseph cries again when he sees Benjamin. Benjamin's alive. He's safe. Reminds Joseph of his mom. Reminds Joseph of what could have been. And he cries. And he says, I'm going to let Simeon out of prison. You've proven to me that you're trustworthy. And he throws a big banquet. And this is one of those moments that Joseph is testing them. And and he says, here's all this grain, more grain than they could have imagined. But he tells his servants that Benjamin, the youngest one, who sat next to me at the table, the place of prominence, he said, I want you to put a silver cup from mine. I want you to put it in his bag. I want you to hide it. And then they were down the road a ways and the police came out and said, hey, one of you stole. And they said, none of us stole. And if, and if any of us stole, take our lives. And they go through the bags and they get to Benjamin's and they find the silver cup and the boys are horrified. And what they would have done 20 years previous is all of them would have gone home and said, Benjamin did this to himself, dad. But instead they all turn around and they go back with Benjamin and they plead with Joseph. They plead with him over and over and over to spare his life. Genesis chapter 44, verse 30 Listen to what is said 20 years after they decided Joseph was expendable. If the boy is not with us when we go back, our father whose life is bound up with the boy's life, verse 31, if he sees the boy isn't there, he will die. Verse 33, now then please let me remain here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy and let the boy return, verse 34. Do not let me see the misery that would come from my father. When Joseph sees that these brothers who threw him away were now willing to risk their lives and bet their lives and give their lives for Benjamin. In chapter 45, verse 2, Joseph clears the entire house and he cries the third time. He cried when he saw the brothers that were so evil. 
He cried when he saw Benjamin, that his brother was alive. And he cries the third time when he sees that the brothers who once threw him away as expendable were now willing to to risk their lives to save his brother. Joseph cries so loudly that it says the entire house can hear his weeping. He has seen what he needed to see. He saw repentance. He saw that 20 years had softened their hearts, that there was regret for what they'd done. They'd seen what they'd done to Jacob. They'd seen what they'd done to their family, and they'd seen what they'd done to themselves. So what do we learn about how God not only delivered Joseph, but how did God also deliver the brothers? It's so important for us to grasp this. This is not just a story about, didn't Joseph catch a break? No, Joseph was delivered, and Joseph delivered Y'all catch that? For many of us, the struggle with our Christianity is we are so happy that we're delivered that we don't understand we have been delivered to be a deliverer. And Joseph could have gone through life hating everyone and everything for the horrible time he went through. But instead, he realized that God delivered him to be a deliverer. And I want you to see how God does this. First of all, God is a God of truth and love. He's a God of truth and love. The simplest way to put this is, if you only act with truth, you may be right, but you are not righteous. And if you only act with love, you may be liked, but you're actually not loving. A good parent parents with truth and with love. Joseph, when he saw his brothers, could have said, do you know who I am? You tried to kill me, and you sold me as a slave. You have lost all your freedom. And he would have been right to do that, wouldn't he have? It's only just. But instead of just worrying about the truth, Joseph balanced the truth with love, just like God did. And he put them through a test. He he challenged them. You see, God is a God who allows tough times into our lives. And those tough times are to test us. Not so that we'll mess up. God doesn't test us to trip us. God tests us to prove in our own hearts and to those around us that we will pursue the right things. That's why you hear athletes, they know this to be true. Most of us learn more in a loss than we ever do in a win. Because we're processing our inability. We're processing that things have to go. Everyone has to do their role at the right time in the right way. And when that happens, we have a better chance of success. And we live life. And God was testing. Joseph put his brothers through a test to find out if their hearts had been changed. And it was a test of truth and love. Mercy, grace, and truth. You see, if you go through the Bible, here's what I want you to understand. Whenever you notice a deliverer, that God called someone to deliver people, Noah, Moses, Joseph, in all three of those instances, the person that was trying to deliver people was rejected by the people he was trying to deliver, all of them. The only people who got on the boat were Noah's family. Moses tried over and over, and the people complained. He's leading us into death. It'd be better if we were back slaves in Egypt than living here in the wilderness. And then there's Joseph, who was told by God he would be a deliverer, and when he told his brothers he was going to be a deliverer, they punked him. They threw him away. They discarded him, and they eliminated him because he got in their way. Every time God tries to deliver, those he's trying to deliver often reject him. 
Joseph didn't become a savior by being sold into slavery. Joseph became a deliverer by trusting the Lord. And when you read his story, Genesis 37 through 50, what you're going to find out is if you put yourself in any circumstance with God, you're better than the best circumstances without him. See, he did not become a bitter person. He did not let slavery define him. He saw that God was good to him, and he turned that into a deliverance. So growing up, I often thought, man, Joseph was just tagging these guys time after time, getting even. And now I realize I don't think he was. I think I've been taught more correctly what Joseph was doing was finding out, would they repent? Could they allow themselves to be delivered? Which is the challenge for most of us, isn't it? So the first question is, what did his tears reveal? When Joseph saw, I love this, when Joseph saw that they had repented and their hearts were soft and they were willing to give their life for somebody else's, Joseph cleared the room and he said, it's me, Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd have sold my brother away as a slave and he's now the second most powerful man in the world, And he's played this come here, come here, go away, go away game with me for three or four years now. And finally we get back there and we think everything's good and we think we finally caught a break and then he clears the room of any eyewitnesses. And he said, do you know who I am? And they're like, no, I'm Joseph. Those 20 pieces of silver wouldn't feel like they're worth anything anymore, would they? Yet in that moment, Joseph goes to mercy rather than hatred. So what do Joseph's words reveal? Let's conclude this way. Joseph had the spiritual poverty to forgive. It's the first thing I want you to see. He says in verse 19 of chapter 50, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Meaning there's a reason to be scared. You don't walk up to anybody who's laughing themselves silly, sitting on their couch with a bowl of popcorn, watching their favorite comedy. You don't walk up and go, don't be afraid. That's ridiculous. There's no reason for them to be afraid. But Joseph said, no, no, no. Don't be afraid. Jacob's dead now. The brother's like, now's the part where he kills us. Now the part he's going to sell us as slaves. Now he's going to make us pay. And Joseph said, no, no, no. I'm not going to play the role of God. Which is really a humble thing because he was a God in Egypt. The second thing I want you to notice about his words is Joseph had enough spiritual wealth to see what God was doing. He had enough spiritual wealth to realize what God was doing. And so he said, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Joseph knew the truth, but he responded with grace and love. It's like we do when we parent. You know, if your child is doing something that you know is going to harm them down the line, you don't simply go, you're a horrible person. And you don't turn around and go, oh, that's, you're fine. No, in between you say, dude, that's not going to pay off down the line. If you continue to live like that, <laughs> or let me quote my father, Mark, keep acting like that, you'll have no friends. It's a pretty clear indictment right there. I was like, and he was right. He was totally right. So what did he do? He gave me truth with grace. It's like, listen, this isn't okay, and you're better than that. Work on being better. It was a perfect combination. And Joseph looked at his brothers and said, listen, I'm not God, and it's not my right to get even, but I want to deliver you by grace because what you meant for evil, pure evil, clearly evil, God's going to turn into something better. Joseph went from being delivered to being a deliverer. And then, the truth of this story is not so you think a lot of Joseph. The truth of this story is that Joseph foreshadowed a greater Joseph to come. One who would look down on the anger and hatred of the world and realize it was lost. 
who would see his father weeping over people that were corrupt and devastating and destroying one another. And this greater Joseph said, Father, I'll, I'll be sold into slavery. I'll give up my freedom so they can become free. I'll go down and through truth and grace, I will show them the error of their sin and I will show them the mercy by which you want to forgive them and I will be the one that will be thrown away and discounted so that their lives can find value, so they can have a future. So when the world crashes in on them, they can be taken from their circumstances and placed in a new land, a land of Goshen, if you will. Because when Joseph said, it's me, he said, go get my father. And they went and they got Jacob and they moved him from where he was to Egypt. And then Joseph was wise. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, is it okay if they live in Goshen? They're herdsmen. And the Egyptians didn't think well of shepherds. He said, is it okay if they live in Goshen, in the land of Goshen, where there's grass and things for the cattle, also to keep them away from the influences of Egypt? And that's where they spent their life. And a greater Joseph came and he said, listen, where you're at's okay, but I want to take you to a better place. And I want to plant you in a perfect garden where you'll have everything you need. And this is exactly where we need to be. Truth and grace coming together in a greater Joseph named Jesus. And he said, I'm willing to be discarded, even though he was God's favorite. And I'm willing to be mistreated. And I'm willing to go into slavery. And I'm willing to work in horrible circumstances so that you can be set free. You see, for many of us, the story of Joseph isn't that Joseph was a good guy. It's this. If your life is about being delivered, you're only living half the life Jesus wants you to live. It's about being a deliverer. It's about taking your deliverance and using it to bless other people. Because Joseph was given a ring and a crown and a robe and he was given a bride and he was made part of the king's family in Egypt. But Jesus came down and he's giving us his ring and his robe and his crown and he's allowing us to have a bride or a, a groom in the church and he's allowing us to be a part of his family, adopted his sons and daughters who can call the Holy Father our father. Joseph shows us that a greater Joseph would come. And he would give us everything and he would deliver his people from bondage and he would deliver his people from hopelessness and he would give us a great future and a wonderful land that God blesses completely. You see, Joseph repaid evil with good, which is the same thing that allowed Jesus to say on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we did know. But Jesus said, no, they don't understand the complications. They don't understand the implications. They don't understand what this is going to do to all societies. So Jesus came and he responded to evil with good so that even Jesus could say what Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. When Jesus volunteered to leave the best parts of heaven to come to the worst parts of earth, he was willing to go check on God's children to find out if they were doing what they were doing and God's children took him and killed him because he was an inconvenience because they didn't like the fact that he knew what they were doing and he delivered. Oh, but church, please hear my heart today. This isn't about doing more. This is about doing something that matters. You've not been called to just be delivered. You've been called to be a deliverer of those who need delivered. Just like Joseph spent his life freeing his family, you and I can free so many. I want to do something that may make you uncomfortable this morning, and that's not my intention. But I think it's important as a church that you just don't hear a message and go, I think I agree or I disagree. The part of the gospel that matters is the one that we respond to. 
So I'd like to ask you two questions this morning. Do you know of anybody that God's laid on your heart right now as I speak? Do you know of anybody who needs delivered from the punishment of their choices? Is there a name or a face that comes to mind? Now, listen, it may be you. You may be saying, I've never confessed to the truth that I'm a sinner who's rejected God and on my worst moments have walked away from everything I know is right. But I want you to mix that truth with grace. To know that Jesus Christ said on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when Jesus asked God to forgive him, guess what God's going to do? Forgive. Not, not wondering, is he ever going to come back and get even like the brothers wondered when Jacob died? Do you know of anybody who needs to be delivered from the punishment of their choices? The second question I want to ask you, and, and keep that person's thought, face or name in mind. Do you know anybody who needs to know that the power of good will repay evil with good rather than evil with evil? Christians today who have for the longest time know who Jesus is, but deep down inside they never totally allowed themselves to be forgiven. They, they fear the words judgment day even though they have nothing to fear, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But you've decided, I'm, I'm living on my goodness and I'm not that good. Do you know anybody who's struggling with accepting the truth and grace of Jesus Christ even having done that? And it may be you. What I'd like you to do now, and this is the uncomfortable spot for us, if there's a name that's come to mind or a person or a family or a group of people you love that need to know there is a deliverer who will deliver everyone, would you stand on their behalf as an act of prayer? If a name or face has come to mind, just wherever you are in the room, and if you're not going to stand, it's okay, don't be embarrassed. Pray for these that are standing. Somebody who needs delivered. And you, my friends, are the deliverers. You have the message of good news. You have the truth of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of the gospel. This isn't a story from a long time ago. It's not the, the Prince of Egypt cartoon. This is a story of people that we know every day who need to know, no matter your circumstances, God is in them with you. And every, promises of God, every promise of God will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, you know the names of each and every person standing in this room. And you know the names that you've laid on their hearts and minds of someone who needs to know who Jesus Christ truly is and how you deliver regardless of the circumstances. God, I pray for each of these that are standing, that whether it's a text message, a phone call, a cup of coffee, a drop-by visit, or just a prayer, that they will follow your leading and be delivered people who deliver people. By the truth of Jesus Christ, we hold to this promise. And we ask as we reflect, as we ask as we think, as we bring these names before you, God, burn in our hearts and minds the perfect opportunity to present the truth of Jesus Christ that frees all of us from our slavery. And I pray this by the most holy and powerful name ever mentioned, Jesus. Please stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.